It's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by flick composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, good morning, everybody, and welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner. we got a good one in store coming up today. Uh, in the third half of our three-hour tour, uh, we're going to uh, talk with uh, an attorney and author who um, is an award-winning novelist. Um, he's uh, just come out with uh, the third book in the Peter O'Keefe series called On Lonesome Roads. His name is Dan Flanagan, and he'll join me by phone during the third half of our three-hour tour. And then a real fascinating conversation with um, a state senator from Missouri, Holly Thompson Rader. And she has a poverty-to-politics story that she tells in a new memoir that she's releasing. And we'll talk uh, all about it. The, um, the book is uh, Sing- uh, Cinder Girl. And um, we're going to talk about that and, uh, and much, much more. A little bit about honesty and politics. She's got an interesting... An interesting story, an interesting backstory, if you will. And then we kick it off today with um, Ingrid Newkirk, who's been on the show a few times, I'm proud to say. She is president and founder of PETA, the, um, her book Free the Animals is uh, out in its uh, 30th anniversary edition and uh, and, and we're going to talk to her about that about that book and about the work that she does and uh, what changes have happened uh, in the book and so on anyway hopefully things will go a lot smoother than they did yesterday we had to cobble up a little bit of the middle section of the show the first hour of armchair politics got disrupted by a power outage and I had to insert part of last week's show to make it up for the replay so if you caught it in the replay and it was a little cobbled up that's why in any event things should be a lot smoother today so kick back and enjoy some interesting stuff Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program. I guess this hour has been on the show before. Um, actually, uh, a few times, and uh, it's always a, a treat to talk with her. She is the president of uh, PETA, which uh, 
I usually have it spelled right out. The um, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. Well, thank you for that. I usually <laughs> it's spelled right out, but it's all acronym in my notes. So, uh, But we're going to talk about one of her books. It's celebrating a 30th anniversary. Her name is Ingrid Newkirk, and she joins me by phone. Free the Animals is the name of the book, and the uh, 30th anniversary edition just came out. And... Uh, it's it's interesting. It's part documentary, part thriller, sort of. <laughs> but we're gonna we're gonna talk all about it with Ingrid, and she joins me by phone. Ingrid, good morning, and welcome to the show. Good morning, Tom. Thanks so much for having me on. Um, this is kind of a docu thriller, isn't it? It's a, it's a true story, but almost hard to believe. Oh, it was fabulous to write. Because it is true. Every single detail in it of these raids that ordinary people decided to carry out in um, going into laboratories and getting dogs out and monkeys out and mice out, every single detail of, of these raids and these rescues is accurate. The only thing I had to change was the names of the people and their occupations. <laughs> because some of them are still wanted by the law. But you, uh, you're right. It is a thriller because they had such adventures. They were almost caught many times. Um, and their escapades are absolute adventures that make you think, oh, no, 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 they're going to be caught. And then at the end, it, it's true. They got away with the animals, with the videotapes, with the evidence of wrongdoing that helped expose what was happening happening in laboratories and really changed the face of, well, changed people's opinions about what was happening. Now, tell me about Valerie. Well, I made Valerie the central character. I did talk to everybody who was involved, and I know their backgrounds, and I made it close to what she was. Valerie in the book is a law enforcement officer, and that, that's true. I made her a police officer, which may or may not be true. But the fact is she did cross the line. She was upholding the law when the Silver Spring Monkeys case erupted in 1980. And it was on the front page of the Washington Post. Peter, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, had gone inside undercover with a very first undercover investigation, done many, many more since. And we found these 17 macaque monkeys living in tiny cages that were rusted with broken wires. They were often not fed. They had wounds because the psychologist who had received money from the government to conduct these experiments was cutting open their backs and rendering one or both of their arms immobile. And so they were in terrible shape. And when they got infections or wounds, he wasn't treating them. So we documented that, went to the police, and the police served the very first search warrant in U.S. history on that lab. It was the case of the Silver Spring Monkeys. Well, Valerie was involved now, in law enforcement. What part of the country that was that in? It's Silver Spring, Maryland. Oh, okay. It's Montgomery County, just outside Washington. And this, this lab was tucked away in a warehouse district. Nobody knew that it was there. Even its neighbors didn't know they had monkeys in the back. Um, but Valerie was a law enforcement agent. Her department served the search warrant. 
she heard about it on the radio. She later came to see the monkeys as they were recuperating. And she came to know them, and she fell in love, if you will, with some of them who were injured, and she would take a hairbrush and scratch their backs for them to relieve the pain. And then the whole research community descended on the prosecutor's office and said, this is science. You can't take these monkeys away. They're going back to the experimenter. And at that point, someone said to her, I've seen how you care for them. Please join us. We're not going to let them go back. We're going to get them out of here. And she was torn. She talked to her partner about it, and she decided, all right, I'm going to help. And that was the day she crossed the line and became really wanted by the law if they knew who she was, but they never found out who she was. This story is fascinating in and of itself, but there are many of these kinds of stories. Um, You've been involved in some yourself. Yeah, it's true. And in fact, I was part of the whole Silver Spring Monkeys thing, collecting the evidence, getting the experts to go in at night when nobody was there to look at the monkeys and give their expert opinions, which they passed on to the police, Uh, all sorts of things. At one point, when someone was taking photographs in the laboratory, I was hidden in a cardboard box outside in the parking lot inside a car keeping watch. I had a Radio Shack walkie-talkie. That was the state of technology in those days. <laughs> and, and if someone pulled into the parking lot, my job was to alert the photographer inside that someone was coming so he could hide. And so, yes, I've been involved in them and the news conferences and have even met some of the monkeys and dogs who were brought out of those labs. Ingrid, this... Uh latest edition of Free the Animals, the 30th anniversary edition. What is different about this version from the book that was originally published 30 years ago? Well, I think it's important to know what has changed and what hasn't changed in animal experimentation. And so there is an afterword that is written by a neuroscientist, Dr. Emily Trunnell, and she's painstakingly gone back. And for example, with these drowning experiments that were happening at the uh, U.S. Naval Station over uh, in Bethesda, Maryland, where the Animal Liberation Front got out a little dog they called Vanguard, a little mixed poodle who was about to be deep-sea dived in a Benz experiment, which had gone on then in the early 1980s for 40 years with no results. And so Emily Trunnell looked back and found out that those were discontinued. They were ended after the raid when the little dog came out. But the Navy recently started deep-sea diving sheep, as if that is going to do anything. They crush their spines in this big tank of water, and then they record the results. And no treatment for the bends has changed in all these decades. So, of course, Peter will get involved is involved now in trying to stop them and say, it's 2022. We have state-of-the-art information. We don't need to be doing these things that don't get us results. Now, you just mentioned uh, 
the afterword, but the book has a foreword by an Oscar-winning actor. How did that come about? This book was probably written before they were born. <laughs> yes, don't remind me how old I'm getting. <laughs> well, I didn't Either. mean it to sound like that, Ingrid. It's okay. You can see the crow's feet. <laughs> um, Peter was formed um, 42 years ago. Hard to imagine now. But yes, Joaquin Phoenix, I'm not sure how old he is, but Oscar-winning, wonderful actor. He is deeply committed to helping animals out of all sorts of predicaments. And people will probably remember the Oscars when he took his time, when he won, to stand there and say, please think of the love that a mother cow has for her calf and put vegan cheese on your pizza. Don't put the real thing so that she can keep her calf. Um, it was a wonderful moment where well, he read Free the Animals and he is deeply committed, as I say, to helping animals. So he decided, I'm going to make a film. So he is now working on the screenplay and he is going to try to make Free the Animals into a Hollywood blockbuster. Well, and it actually could be because it has those elements. Um, you know, people working undercover and... Uh, you know, running from the law, there there are all these mm -hmm. components, not to mention the, uh, the, the disturbing practices at the heart of these stories. Yes, and I, go, to go back to your question about the, the afterword or what makes it different now, as Dr. Trunnell points out, um, we need to wake up to the fact that it is 2022. We've got organs on a chip. You know, we have high-speed computers you can program with human data and get results really quickly. We shouldn't be paying, and we are paying through the nose with our tax money, for the National Institutes of Health, which, you know, Dr. Fauci, Dr. Collins, haven't met an animal they wouldn't experiment on. They give money willy-nilly to people for uh, to implant electrodes in their heads, give them poisons, take away their children and see how it upsets them mentally, all these ludicrous things. We now have wonderful, modern, sophisticated ways to get information, and we need to move away rapidly. It's been going on for so long. We need to wake up and move away from animal experimentation. You will see in the book, that one of the experiments that was going on was blinding baby monkeys. And they would take a baby monkey away from her loving mother and then stitch up her eyelids with coarse thread, put her in a steel cage, put a sonar device on her head. And instead of studying naturally born blind children and seeing how they develop, they would artificially create this absolute horror, like something out of a horror story and in real life, and just document what this baby monkey did. Well, the baby monkey would become psychotic. That's not what happens with human children in a loving home who happen to be born blind and who are raised with every uh, help that they can get. So she says, this is still going on in some parts, and we're paying for it, and we need to stop. More with founder and president of PETA, Ingrid Newkirk, straight ahead. Hello out there, everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner's program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs> 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places. So be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Vi from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom. This is my favorite interview always. You, you, <laughs> it's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Hi, I'm State Representative Sarah Anthony. Our community and communities across the country are seeing a rise in gun violence. Firearm injuries are one of the leading causes of death among children. Parents, it is your responsibility to know where your firearm is at all times. First, lock your gun away somewhere safe. Also, make sure that it is disassembled and unloaded. It's up to us to prevent gun violence in our community.
This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. More with founder and president of PETA, Ingrid Newkirk, straight ahead. When did using animals um, for research in the name of science begin? Well, Tom, that's an excellent question because some things you can track. I mean, you look back to ancient Roman times and so on where dogs were given poison just to test the food before somebody ate it to see if someone had put strychnine or something in it. So animals have been used uh, for a long, long time. And we go back to the time of Descartes, you know, in the 1800s, early 1900s, 1800s, when he used, he took his wife's dog and he actually nailed his wife's dog to a board and showed students the internal organs while the dog was still alive. And he said, the screams of of animals are just like the squeaking of machinery. He didn't believe that they felt pain. And that pervaded, and it still is to some extent what you see among experimenters who mock and laugh. You should see the videos on our website. You have to have a strong stomach because they're so bullying, they're so mean to these animals. But in the 1920s, 30s, we were in the course of putting lots of products on the market. And nobody knew how to test them, really. We weren't very sophisticated. And so the way they were tested under federal regulations that were passed rapidly was that you got first mice, then beagles, other dogs, monkeys, and over a course of years, you poured those chemicals down their throats, put them on their abraded backs. Um, you know, you did all these things and put them in their eyes, and then you just recorded how much ulceration, how much poisoning, how much it took to kill them. And that was how crude it was, and it still is to some extent today. You know, it's interesting. I've talked to a number of people from PETA over the last few years, Ingrid, uh, in in addition to you, some of the people that are in various uh, areas of expertise and, and working in this field. And one of the themes that continues to come up is that the scientific results of these experimentations is not very sound. Oh, my. Have you hit the nail on the head? I can give you, I mean, studies have been done to show if there are are any results. I mean, a lot of people assume that animals are being used to to try these things out so that they're not being tried out on people and that that somehow there's a greater good being performed. But as many of the PETA staff have have said on this show and, and many others, um, that isn't really the case. That it, it isn't working the way it was intended or the way it's being explained to people. Oh, exactly. It's, it's a myth that there are just a few animals who are treated well and they're only used for absolutely vital research into, you know, fatal diseases or something like that. It's not true. We have millions upon millions of animals used every year. We don't have a cure for the common cold, so I'm not sure why anybody thinks that it's good. Most of the work that we have um, achieved, the results that we have achieved in medicine, come from 
believe it or not, hygiene, going back to when they found contamination in the water pumps in London and it was causing typhoid, um, to if you look at the failure rates for, I, I mentioned bends, we haven't changed, we've, we've hurt so many animals, killed so many animals crushing their spines, we have not changed the, um, the treatment for the bends, even though we've done that. Um, failure rate for new drugs developed using animals is over 95%. You know, you see these ads on television that say side effects include anaphylactic shock, you know, this, that, and the other, and we're so used to seeing them, we don't even notice them, we don't even register them, we think, oh, that's, I'll take that drug. A lot of these things are only known what happens once they go into the human population. And the drug companies then will withdraw a drug when the level of litigation reaches a certain level, and they don't think it's sustainable. But to answer your question really specifically, HIV, the vaccine, the treatment for HIV, came from clinical studies, from epidemiological studies, studies with human data programmed into high-speed computers. We got that drug cocktail, the HIV cocktail, that changed everything. Use of animals, including chimpanzees locked up for life in a thing the size of a refrigerator, 100% failure. Strokes, experiments on animals, 100% failure. Alzheimer's disease, 99.6%. Cancer, 96.7% failure. So we have, we're wasting all this money. We're wasting this time. We're hurting animals, and we are allowing career experimenters to continue to be funded because nobody taps them on the shoulder and says, excuse me, you're not getting anywhere, but the animals are suffering. And a lot of experiments, Tom, have nothing to do with disease at all. They're psychology. They're just, let's see what happens when we interfere with songbirds' heads and if they can still find direction if we do this. It's garbage. Ingrid, when uh, the Spanish flu came out, it was called the Spanish flu because it was first acknowledged and, and identified and recognized um, in Spain, although it became a global pandemic. Um, former President Trump uh, referred to many times COVID-19 as the China virus. Um there is a new culprit spreading around the world called monkeypox. Where does that get that kind of a name? Well, yes, it's true that all these zoonotic diseases or diseases that are transmitted between animal and human being uh, come from things like markets. They come from um, eating wild animals. There's a you know huge market for uh, game in in Africa, and that is the seat of many of these epidemics, um, like Ebola and SARS and so on. But yes, the Spanish flu, so-called, came actually from a farm in the United States. It was eventually traced down to a um, farming in the United States. Monkeypox is seen in monkeys in Africa, but it's believed to have come from rodents. So all these things are transmissible. And this morning I was reading about COVID in white-tailed deer. 
and they're finding it and they're warning hunters, you know, not to touch and maybe even to wear masks when they're gutting deer because it's possibly transmissible from white-tailed deer to human beings. Um, and we've had hunters told before, don't uh, mess around with uh, elk and moose and deer who are carrying wasting disease, which is related to uh, encephalitis or, uh, remember, mad cow disease. Yeah. We, yeah. So all these things come from getting too close to other animals, not leaving them alone to live their lives, but actually skinning them, eating them, handling them, and so on. And so, you know, Wuhan, maybe it came from a lab, but most people think it came from that dirty market in Wuhan where people were buying um, raccoon dogs and bats and other animals all mixed together. And those markets are everywhere. There are markets like that where they're selling chickens and uh, who knows what, and the blood is going out into the streets in New York, in San Francisco. If we could stay away from interfering with animals, we would be healthier, we would be less at risk. Are there ways for humans and animals to um, interact uh, not only safely but but humanely? Oh, yes, I think there are because... You know, we have destroyed much of the animals' habitat, much of their homeland, their environment. You can just fly across the country and see how much land is left that is undisturbed by human activity, and it's almost nil. Um, there, there are patches of desert and patches of woods, but even in the woods, you know, we're out there hiking, biking, hunting, who knows what is going on. Um, so animals have a hard time of it. But that also means there are animals who are in trouble, and they need human help. There are animals, what I call refugees. For example, we run two sanctuaries in India for uh, animals who have collapsed while working in the brick kilns, donkeys who are carrying huge numbers of bricks, or bullocks, these steers who are pulling heavily laden carts, and they get lame and they get other problems and no one has money for vet care for them, so we take them in. And in this country, we have animal shelters that are full to the bursting point of homeless, unwanted, cast-out dogs and cats who each one is wonderful and deserves a loving home, deserves to be on the bed and sitting by the fire and all those things, going for walks. So... To help, all you have to do is look around and see what refugees need you and get a symbiotic relationship. They give you love. You give them care and respect. You know, um, a, a lot of American farming historically have used animals, uh, um, horses and, and oxen and, and other things, to work on the farms, but the impression that we have is that um, that 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 the farmer had a healthy relationship with those animals and took good care of them. Um, is that in fact true, or is it maybe just different case by case? I think it's different case by case. When I was a little girl, my great uncle George had a farm in Cornwall, and he had dairy cows. And I loved them to pieces, but they went on the truck, you know. And that's a frightening voyage for them, frightening trip. 
they've never been on a vehicle before and in all weather and then of course we know what happens to them when they get to their destination um i think different people you know have different levels of kindness and callousness and so it all depends I mean, you look back to um, the time of human slavery, and you'll find people saying, oh, well, so-and-so was really good to his slaves. And you think, yeah, but there was a context there, wasn't there? I mean, you know, but I think today we've got a situation where there are very few uh, family farms anyway, and they're struggling in, uh, anyhow. Um, if you go to the supermarket to buy meat or milk, um, it's from a factory farm. There's no question. And a factory farm is not a pleasant place. I mean, the animals are, are really in misery, uh, crammed together, treated as commodities, not as living beings. So, you know, it's inconvenient for them to have beaks because they could peck each other. So you cut the chicken's beak off. And it's inconvenient for them. It's just, it's so rotten even before the fear of the journey to their end. But today we've got all these options, and you can farm soybeans still, and instead of using it as animal feed, we've got Archer Daniels Midland, uh, we've got Jimmy Dean Sausage. They're all making that soy protein directly available to the consumer. So businesses change, and they need to change when it comes to farming. Factory farming is killing the earth. It's not going to be helpful for our grandchildren. And and of course that's that's dealing with uh, with farming and food supply and food alternatives, um, but getting back to uh, medical research for just a moment, you mentioned along the way, uh, almost parenthetically, new technology. To what degree is new technology um, making the case for alternatives to animal testing? for medical research. Oh, it's an absolute revolution. It's really, truly fantastic. You could have a whole human heart now that's uh, fashioned so that it's the size of your fingertips so that you can um, experiment on it and see what actually happens. It's, it's the cellular whole human heart. Three-dimensional virtual reality models. You've perhaps seen that surgeons now are using uh, lasers to go in there looking on the computer while they're doing their surgery. Um, we've got supercomputers that can save millions of lives, mass spectrometry, uh, gas chromatography. We've got all these fantastic things, and it is revolutionizing not only medical education, which is, was a big problem in the past. You know, a dog would be put on the table and they would give them poisons or do things to them to show the students. The students are bright enough. They don't need to see that. They can read about it. Now they can do everything with simulators. We send simulators to other countries, including places like Turkey and Syria, uh, where there are human rights violations, but they've got good medical training now because they use human simulators instead of the stray dog off the street. So it is, if you go to a, a conference on the state of the art of research, it's not the patter of little feet. It's machines, it's computers, it's the Internet, it's organs, it's cell culture, it's monoclonal antibodies that are not made anymore from, from mice. You can still buy them from mice, you know, mice anti, anti, monoclonal antibodies, but you don't have to. 
and the people who are progressive and the young people coming up really don't want to experiment on monkeys and poison dogs. They would rather do something that's clean, that's quick, that's efficient, and that relates to the human condition. So it's happening. Is is that aiding in, in the reduction of animal suffering by and large at a, at a, at a quicker rate than than you and your colleagues can rescuing animals one and two and ten at a time? Yes, absolutely. I mean, the scientific revolution in finding alternatives to the use of animals, which exist now, we have carved it out in a book that's called, or booklet, um, that's called The Research Modernization Deal. And it shows exactly what you can do, which experiments you could get rid of today, just without alternatives, they're just garbage. And then which experiments, they're still using old-fashioned uh, old-fashioned methods where they could be using technology. And so you could switch that and you'd get faster results. So yeah, the revolution in new techniques, new methodologies, which don't use animals, is a godsend. And so, yeah, delighted. Absolutely delighted. But there's still so much work that needs to go on. 19 billion, with a B, 19 billion taxpayer dollars goes into experiments. These old-fashioned, I call them old-boy old boy style experiments, um, paid for by the NIH, which means paid for by you and me, Tom. Uh, it's staggering, uh the, the money that goes into some of these things, they, they really could be diverted. Um, let me ask this. The last time, or, or maybe the time before that, that you were on the show, we were talking about uh, your book, Animal Kind. Now we've uh, talked a little bit about uh, the 30th anniversary edition of Free the Animals. What's next for Ingrid? <laughs> Well, I also bought back my, maybe I'm cheating a bit by bringing back, but I bought back my cat book, which is 250 Vital Things Your Cat Wants You to Know. That's right. I, I, <laughs> you were on the show talking about that book. Yeah, well, I'm thinking of bringing back my dog book, which long ago was called Let's Have a Dog Party. But at the <laughs> moment, because it's great fun to have a dog. I mean, the love and the joy and learning to go out for a walk and not hurrying it along and listening. to It's wonderful. But at the moment, I'm completely upset about these bibs, which is the breeding impaired, breathing impaired breeds, Pugs and Bostons and French Bulldogs who have been purposely bred over the years to have basically no face. They basically don't have a nose. They have these squashed in eyes and, and very flat faces. And what has happened when you look at them physiologically is their airways are so tiny that in these heat waves that we're having, they are really struggling to breathe. And people who have them, I have found out, actually have thought that it's normal that they have their little tongues sticking out and that they're huffing and puffing and huffing and puffing, even indoors. And that is not normal. It is because they've been bred to have this teeny tiny airway. They are suffering, and they suffer to, in other ways. To what end, Ingrid? I, you know, there there has been selective breeding in the past for certain 
purposes, hunting and and uh, yeah. burrowing and and so on. But but to what end would that possibly be? This is that lap dog business where you want a dog that's cute. And the definition of cute came to be this reduced, 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 flat face. And I think the people buying them are thinking more of dogs as being attractive to them, what appeals to them as kind of a little bit funny, like, oh, look, isn't he cute? And actually what you've done is you've taken a strong animal, a canine who has uh, you know, been, has all the proper bits to him, and you've reduced his spine, you've reduced his legs, you've shrunk him down, you've squashed his face, you know, you've bugged out his eyes until you have this sort of toy animal. And these are aberrations. They're perversions of what a dog should be. They're wonderful. They still have love and they still have a brain, but they're suffering. And in England, they're thinking of, they're trying to ban them. In Germany, they, they have restrictions on them. And we have been appealing to the wretched American Kennel Club, the AKC, which isn't worth anything, um, to please stop promoting these breeds. They shouldn't be bought, bred. Uh, they're in trouble. They're, these dogs are not comfortable for their whole lives. Well, Ingrid, um, I always have such a great time talking with you, and our time has just raced by. Unfortunately, we are out of it, but I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about the books and the subjects we've been talking about, you and your work, past, present, and future. Is there a website you'd like to share? Yes, Tom, please. Anybody who wants anything to do with animals wants to get involved in any way, org. Well, Ingrid, thank you so much for spending this time with me and the listeners, and keep up the good work. Thanks, Tom, so much. Bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. That was uh, Ingrid Newkirk. She is uh, author of uh, the book Free the Animals, which is in its 30th anniversary uh, uh, printing uh, or version now. Um, And she is also the founder and president of PETA. We'll have more of the Tom Sumner program.
Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Hawaiians, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans, and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, to hug her and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Rangers Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed. It's a robocall. Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. It's 2022, and this year the Tom Sumner Program begins its 14th year. It would not be here without support through the years from individuals and organizations like these. Seth David Radwell. East Village Magazine. Flint Institute of Music. Hello, I'm Maestro Rickety Magazine. Flint Community Schools. MTA Flint. Flint Comics and Entertainment. Hamity Complete Food Center. The Flint River Watershed Coalition. W.H. Weiscarver. The Genesee County Road Commission. Lone Museum Auto Fair. Thomas Appliance. The Genesee Health Plan. Whiplet Technology. My Community College. It's Pure Michigan. Friends on Facebook have also helped by contributing to the show's online fundraisers two or three times a year. If you would like to help the Tom Sumner program continue to thrive by becoming a sponsor, send an email of interest to tom at tomsumnerprogram.com. Add your name to the list of supporters, past, present, and future. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology.
Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. The Bickersons have retired. As usual, Mrs. Bickerson tosses restlessly while her husband, John, insomniac extraordinary, provides this audible testimony of his constant wakefulness. Let's listen. Oh, for the love of heaven, what is he doing? John! 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 Hmm? What's the matter with you? Hmm? You are making the most frightful noises. What's the matter? What's the matter, Blanche? Are you in pain? I've got a terrible headache. Haven't slept a wink. You've been sleeping like a felled ox. Head aches. You wouldn't have such a headache if you didn't make so many cocktails before dinner. Why do you do that, John? Always. Always do it. Why? No good to eat on an empty stomach. Put out the lights, Blanche. The lights are out. How would you know anyway with that sleep shade on? Well, something's flashing in my head. Ow! Take an aspirin. Okay. Hmm, feel better already. How can you chew those things like that? Wash it down with something. All right. Ah. John Bickerson, you washed it down with bourbon. You lied to me. You got the lights on. Yes, I'm going to keep them on. Sit up. I want to talk to you. Please, Blanche, I can't sit up. My head will fall off. Why do you always have to talk in the middle of the night? When else can I talk to you? You come home for dinner and bury your head in the paper. Never a word out of you. And you tell me you've got to go to bed early because you have insomnia. Well, I have. It takes me hours to fall asleep. It took you all of 30 seconds tonight. Well, this was a good night. Good night. John. John. Hmm? I went over to the Marvin's new baby. I went over to see the Marvin's new baby this afternoon. It's a beautiful child. Do you know their first one is over a year old? I hope so. He's been walking since he was eight months. He must be awful tired. I am too. Children are such a blessing. Mm. It's wonderful to watch them grow up. You'd be surprised how many childless couples are adopting children. I'd better have another aspirin. Boy, have I got a headache. Mm. John? Mm -hmm. Don't you miss the patter of tiny feet around the house? No, I don't, Blanche. Children are wonderful, all right, but you have to be able to afford them. All this talk of adopting. What the devil is that? What's what? That. Put the lights on. John. Blanche, don't tell me that you went out and... It's only a dog, silly. A a dog? What do we need dogs for? I got a little puppy. Where's the aspirin? What did you get a dog for? Now, don't get hysterical. Where is the little beast? I can hear it, but I can't see it. He's right there, in the bureau. I've got him in your shirt drawer. You put him in there with my shirts? He won't suffocate. The drawer's open. 
Blanche, you know I'm allergic to dog hair. It gives me sinus trouble. Where's the aspirin? You are just a big hypochondriac. You imagine those allergies like you do your insomnia. I tell you, I'm allergic to dogs. They make me... make me... (laughs) Get rid of that thing. He'll whine all night and keep me awake. The woman said he'll keep quiet if you give him one of those worm pills. I'm not sure, but I think the man said that. Oh, sorry. (laughs) The man said he'll keep quiet if you give him one of those worm pills. Well, where are they? On the night table by your bed. How do you give a duck... Where? They're on the night table by your bed. There's nothing here except the aspirins. The aspirins are in the medicine cabinet. How can they be in the... Blanche, what have I been eating? No wonder my headache won't go away. Why do you do these things to me? Send for a doctor. Don't carry on so. If they're good for a dog, they won't hurt you. Go to sleep. Go to sleep, she tells me. Here I am dying from dog poisoning. My my head is splitting. She knows I'm allergic to dogs. Hides the aspirin. Makes... Ah, shut up. I don't know. Get up so early, never get another wink of sleep as as long as... John. Ah. John. Hmm? Gesundheit. Thanks. Can we back up? Yeah. Don't carry on so. If they're good for a dog, they won't hurt you. Go to sleep. Go to sleep, she tells me. Here I am dying from dog poisoning. My my head is splitting. She knows I'm allergic to dogs, hides the aspirin, and makes... Ah, oh, shut up! I don't know. Get up so early, never get another wink of sleep as, as long as... John? John? Hmm? Gesundheit. Thanks. I can see how much sleep I'm going to get tonight. We'll have to get rid of the puppy. Now you're talking. I want you to take him down to the dog pound. Okay, I'll do it on my way to work. You go in the opposite direction. Well, I'll go out of my way. You say it, but you won't do it. You better take him now. What? Go on, get up, take the puppy to the dog pound. Blanche, are you out of your mind? It's after two in the morning. They're open all night. Go on, get up and take him. Well, I've never heard of such a thing. You know I went to bed with a splitting headache and had to take a dozen worm pills to fall asleep. You'd take the dog to the pound quick enough if Gloria Gooseby asked you to. How do you always manage to work the conversation around a Gloria Gooseby? Shut up! Well, if you wouldn't shout so much, maybe the puppy would be able to sleep. Ah, what's the use? Good night. I thought it would be nice to have a little dog, especially when we move into our new apartment. Still have a year to go on this one. Our lease expired on Friday. I renewed it yesterday. I canceled it this morning. Amos is raffling off the apartment for me. That's a good idea. Amos is what? Amos sold 500 tickets at $2 a piece, and the winner moves into our apartment tomorrow. Oh, Blanche, no. I... I don't believe it. We'll be on the street. Amos said he'll find us a new place in a jiffy. Jiffy? Haven't you heard there's a housing shortage? Where would he find a place? Well, I bought a ticket myself. It's a wonderful chance. Lovely three-room apartment, large kitchen, big closets. It's worth $2, and we might get it. 
Get it? We've got it now. I know. But even if we didn't win, we get the $1,000 Amos collected for the rest of the tickets. Look, Blanche, I gave the landlord a $1,200 bonus to renew the lease. So now I'm out $200 and I've got no place to live. Sounds like pretty poor business to me. Why do you make such deals? Now look, Blanche... The trouble with you, John, is that you are too conservative. Look, Blanche... If you'd pick up some of the deals that Amos has, we might be able to live as nicely as he does. Blanche... He's been living at the Biltmore Hotel for a year. He sleeps on a billiard table. Look out. Where, where's my slippers? What are you going to do? Let me get to that phone. I'll show... Ow! Ooh! Ooh! Put on the lights. The lights are on. Open your eyes. Oh, here's here's the phone. I know it's going to ring, and I want to be ready when it does. Hello? Excuse me. Drop dead. Wait a minute, wait a minute. That wasn't Amos. I'll get it, I'll get it. Amos. Hi, Jacko. What are you doing up this time of night? Packing, Amos. We're moving, haven't you heard? Why aren't you going to invite me in? I'd like to look the place over. You mean... Yep, I won the raffle. Darndest luck I ever saw. Who drew the ticket, Amos? Fair and square. I wouldn't take a chance having some phony draw it, so I drew it myself. What a coincidence. Get out of here. What's the matter with you, Jacko? You got a thousand dollars coming. And if you're worried about a place to live, I'll rent you the garage. You haven't got a car anymore, you know. Get out of here before I hit you with a cleaver. Okay, Jacko. You don't have to get sore. You better give the money back to people who sold you sold. You better give the money back to people you sold tickets to, or you'll have a lot of explaining to do. Not me, brother. You'll have to do the explaining. I'll tell them you won. Good night, Jacko. That guy will wind up on a chain gang as sure as... Was it Amos who won? I did. Now at last I can go to sleep in my own bed without worrying. No, you can't, dear. The dog's in there. The... Oh, nuts. I'll sleep in the garage. Not too Amosy, was it? No. No. Show down here. 
It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on. Go on, get out of here.